You know, we as Christians, we talk about salvation quite a lot. And you, you know all the kind of jokes about Jesus saves and all that kind of thing. But salvation, the, literally the word salvation literally means rescue. And if you were a Jew, uh, the Jewish mindset is, is salvation is rescue from the bad circumstances that we're in. So when the children of Israel were in Egypt, salvation was a rescue from the Egyptians. When in Jesus' day, salvation for the Jews of Jesus' day was rescue from the Roman oppression. But it can be rescue from sickness or rescue from financial difficulty. It's all about rescue from circumstances. A Gentile mindset, okay, which is a non-Jewish mindset, is salvation is rescue from an eternity of separation from God. So it's rescue from the consequence of our sins so that when we die, we go to heaven. The thing is, salvation is much bigger than all of that. Salvation encompasses all of that, but actually salvation is rescue from a life of disconnection from God. That's what salvation is. So whatever is disconnecting you from the life of God, you need rescue from it and so do I. And what we looked at last week is that here's God with these great expectations to fill our lives with abundant life, but we struggle to let go of the past. The past can disconnect us from the life that God has. But also, we at times struggle to believe God for the present as well. And I want to suggest that we're often disconnected from the life God has for us because we are discontented with the life we currently have. We're often disconnected from the life God has for us because we are so discontented with the life we currently have. You see, you and I live in a culture which is all based on discontentment. You know that, don't you? So all of our media and advertising is all set up on these two premises. You're discontent and contentment is just one purchase away. If only you could buy that Lynx shower gel, gentlemen, your life would be radically revolutionised. Not only would you smell nice, but scantily clad women would in slow motion run across the hills and the vales and across trees and, and over lakes and rivers just to get near you, just to touch you. If you wear Lynx. I've tried it, it doesn't work. All right, <laughs> And if, if I could just buy something, if I could put something in my hair, if I could eat something, if I could wear something, if I could drive something, then I would be content. Contentment is just one purchase away. You're discontent, but contentment is one purchase away. And it's rubbish, isn't it? And we are the most discontented culture I think we've ever been. And yet we've got more stuff than we've ever had. How do you know if you're discontent? Well, maybe I find myself bored or dissatisfied at work because I expect it to not only pay the bills, but to provide me with a sense of identity or significance. And it's crushed beneath the weight of my expectations. I'm disappointed in my relationships. My friends or spouse or children don't meet all my emotional and intimacy needs. And I find myself growing resentful. I try to escape from discontentment. I seek relief or distraction through watching TV, shopping or alcohol. I grow resentful or envious of those others whose circumstances seem more pleasant than mine. And here's one. I'm discontent at church because it's not always exciting and engaging and just like I would like it every single week. Who told you it should be? Who told any of us that anything in life should be exciting, engaging and just as we like it all the time? And yet what we've got is we've got this culture of discontentment. And the, and the great um, Christian, uh, one of the early church fathers, Augustine, he said this, our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. Listen, we will never find contentment outside of a relationship with God. 
It's in that current realisation that he loves us and that he's with us that we find that contentment. And I want to talk to you about God's great expectations for you. And I'm going to take us to the book of Ephesians, which is a a book in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. And a fellow called Paul wrote this book, and it's an amazing book. It's one of the supreme letters in the New Testament. And it was written by Paul when he was in prison. And, uh, and it's, an amazing, it's an amazing book. Uh, and we're not sure whether it was written just to the church at Ephesus or whether it was a circular letter to all of the churches in Asia Minor. Probably the latter, we reckon. But anyway, we're going to look at it and I'm going to go to my weather screen, my weatherman screen here, okay? Uh, this is in, in Ephesians 3 verse 14 and we're going to just break it down a little bit. And Paul writes this, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. So we just hold it there. For this reason, what reason? Well, this is Ephesians 3, 14. So it's literally right in the middle of the whole book of Ephesians. And in the context of the whole book, the whole book is basically this. Paul is saying, God is saying, the world in which we live in is disintegrating and disconnected. It's falling apart. But you know God. And God has sent Jesus who lives in you. And the purpose of God in Jesus through you is to bring together what was disconnected and disintegrating. The purpose is completeness. This is the reason. So you know God. okay? So you live in a disconnected, disintegrating, chaotic world. But you know God because Jesus is now in you by his spirit. And so for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, when he says I kneel, that would have been interesting to watch. Because at the time he wrote this, he was chained to a Roman soldier in a Roman prison. So I think when he knelt, the Roman soldier knelt as well. would have been interesting. But the other thing is Jewish men don't kneel when they pray. They stand. They only kneel when it's really urgent. And so he's saying, for this reason, this is so urgent, I'm going to kneel. And then he says, before the Father. Now, in the Bible, there's two concepts of Father. One is paternity. In other words, the biological Father. Whose name? Who's the daddy? Whose name is on the birth certificate? But that's not this concept. This concept is much more than who's the daddy. This concept is who's the relationship. Who's got that relationship of father? Not just whose name is on the birth certificate, but I kneel before the father, the God I know. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And so so this this is why he writes it, for this reason, this is why he prays it and then he kneels in urgency to his father. But what then does he pray? Well, the first thing he prays is this, that you and I would be strengthened with power. That you and I would be strengthened. Put the next slide up, please, Chris. That you and I would be strengthened with power. That's what, he put, that's what he's praying. And this is an amazing thing because what he prays in our circumstances is not that our circumstances would change but that he would strengthen us in the middle of our circumstances. And this is what it is in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Notice the thing here. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's always this bounce back between what's his and what's yours. In other words, you are the one who is the focus here of his attention. Out of his riches, out of his glory, he wants to strengthen you 
with power in your inner being. Now the inner being is a concept in Greek understanding. The inner being, they believe that on the inside of us, that was the center, the source of our conscience, our reason and our will. It's, it's kind of who we really are. And God is saying this to you guys today and to me. Listen, I want to strengthen you on the inside so that you can endure what comes at you from the outside. And yet so many of us, our prayers aren't like this. Our prayers are this, Lord, make me happy. Lord, make me healthy. Lord, make me wealthy. Lord, give me what I want. Lord, take this pain away. Lord, get me out of this situation. We're so focused on the outside, but God says this to you this morning. My great expectation for you is this, that you would be strengthened with power on the inside so that you can stand up to what you're fighting and battling with on the outside. And I love that. And I think what what Paul would say if he was here this morning and through these words, what God would say is that he wants to build within us endurance and resilience. These are two qualities that are missing, in my opinion, from our culture right now. They're missing from our marriages, they're missing from our work relationships, and they're missing in our churches often, is endurance and resilience. The sad thing is, without endurance and resilience, we miss the glory that God has for us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Anyone had any light and momentary troubles? You see, I know what light and momentary troubles are for most of us. My iPhone has died. Hashtag first world problems. Do you know what I mean? I can't find my brush. I don't know what to wear. But the light and momentary troubles that Paul refers to are these. He was persecuted, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, whipped and flogged. Those are the light and momentary troubles he's talking about. But he said, listen, I've had all these things happen to me, but God strengthened me and I stuck at it. And actually all of those things did was they helped create glory within my life, which is amazing, isn't it? And Paul is saying to you and I, decide in advance, you're not going to quit no matter what the pain level is like. You're going to keep showing up, keep trusting, keep serving, keep proclaiming the gospel, knowing it's not in vain because it is for him. And why does Paul pray this? Well, he says, he prays it so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I love that. That word dwell means to settle somewhere. In other words, God's prayer for you and I, God's great expectation isn't that he would be a visitor or a lodger, is that he would dwell in our hearts through faith. You know, you know many of us, we say we go to church, which of course we do. We go to a, a gathering, but, but, but then that means that we're almost like we visit but God doesn't want to come and visit. God wants to dwell, doesn't he? That he would dwell in our hearts through faith. So Paul prays to the Father that you would be strengthened by the Spirit so that Christ can take up permanent residence in your life. And I, I want to, to pause for a moment. Robin's going to help me. Because I want to pause and put your books down or your notes if you're doing that. And I, I want you to receive something from God this morning. Maybe there's somebody here or maybe there's somebody watching this morning or listening, and you know right now that you need to be strengthened with power. Well, the great I am is here this morning. That ain't me, that's him. And he wants to come and he wants to strengthen you with power in your inner being. So on the inside, you're strengthened so you can face whatever is on the outside. So maybe we just close our eyes for a moment and I wanna invite you this morning just to receive from him. And I want to read a verse over you this morning and then I'm going to invite some of you to respond who say, hey, do you know what? I need strength right now. I need to be strengthened with power and I'm going to invite you in a moment to stand and to respond. 
And then I'm going to invite some people around you to gather around you and pray for you this morning. So I'm giving you a heads up on what I'm doing, okay? But, but just listen to these words as I read them over you this morning. Isaiah 41 verse 10. And I believe these are words for some of you specifically here that you're listening or watching. God says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. From the message it says, don't panic, I'm with you. There's no need to fear for I am your God. I'll give you strength, I'll help you, I'll hold you steady, keep a firm grip on you. Maybe we can't receive because we just don't believe that God wants to or will. Maybe we just need to open up our hands again and receive from Him. So this morning, if you know that you need to be strengthened with power, I want to invite you to stand and to say to God, hey God, that's me right now. I'm going to pray for you personally this morning through other people's prayers as well. So if that's you, wherever you are, maybe you're watching or listening again, you just respond and open up to Him. And now if you sat down, would you just open your eyes for a moment and some people who are standing, why don't you just go gather around them, just guys, for a moment. And maybe for some of you, even as you're doing this, you want to stand as well. That's okay. And I'll pray. And just gather around these guys. Make sure we've got a hand on everyone's shoulder here. And we're just going to pray for strength. We're just going to pray for strength. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We ask you to come into this place. God, we want to speak strength into lives in Jesus' name. God, where people are weak, where people feel I just sense there's some of you in this room and you feel assaulted right now. I don't mean physically. I think you feel assaulted by lots of different things that have been coming one after another. And it's like, oh no, not this, not this. And then there's another and another and another. And you're crying out saying, when will it ever stop? And I just believe that God is saying to you, listen, I, you know, it is going to stop, but until it does, I'm not going to stop. I am not going to stop loving you. I am not going to stop strengthening you. I am not going to stop holding you up. It will stop. But I won't stop supporting you and holding you. So God, would you come right now? Would you strengthen these guys and girls? Would you strengthen these people in Jesus' name? We'll let them know that you are with them. I read these verses out over you. Don't be afraid, says the Lord, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Father, we receive from you. God, would you strengthen us with power in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Take your seats. But you know, with God, and this is the thing I love about God, it, it, it's great, you know, but then it doesn't stop because it keeps giving. God, God says, I want to strengthen you with power. But also, secondly, Paul goes on to say, and I, I, I want you to be saturated with love. I'm going to be saturated with love and we'll read it in a moment. You know, when it comes to love, um, one of the difficulties we've got is what is love? You know, what, what is it? And, and of course, if you ask kids what love is, I'm sure many of you have heard these before, then you get all kinds of interesting definitions of what love is. So let me read you a few. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on aftershave and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> there you go. Uh, love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and you talk. My mommy and daddy are like that, but they look gross when they kiss. <laughs> love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Amen. Doesn't work the other way, okay? It only works the one way. 
And then some of you won't even know who this person is, okay? You really won't, so is my age. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's more handsome than Robert Redford. Some of you haven't got a clue who Robert Redford is, have you? Look it up on Google. He's ancient now, all right, okay? But you know, the point is about God's love. And when the Bible says God so loved the world, the point about God's love, which makes God's love so amazing, is not the quantity of it, but the quality because it's not so that God is, his love is so vast, which it is. It's that it's so amazing that he would even love us in the first place. It's not the quantity, it's the quality. And Paul then in verse 17, he says, And I pray then that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let me break this down. I pray that you've been rooted and established. In some translations, it says grounded. Rooted is an agricultural term. Established or grounded is an architectural one. In other words, you have to go deep before you can go high. You have to be rooted and go deep before you can go high. And God's prayer for you and I is that we would rise and go high in an understanding of his love. But in order to do that, we've got to go deep into his love. If we want to go high, we've got to go deep. And then he says uh, that, you would, that, that you would be rooted and established in love. You'd then have power, listen, together with all the saints. Now, let me say something. This is really important. I hear loads of people. When I was, when I was first in Christian ministry, I didn't hear this so much. But in the last 30 years, I have heard this in an increasing amount of way. I hear people say, I don't do church anymore. Me and God are okay. I don't need other people because me and God are okay. Listen. You're not. You're not okay. Because the Bible teaches nothing about solitary religion. It teaches that you have a personal relationship with Him, absolutely. But in the fullness of understanding who God is and who you are and what love is all about, Paul says that you know this love together with all the saints because you're not going to know it outside of that. You're not going to fully know the love of God outside of relationship. Sometimes I wish that wasn't so, but it really is. And then he goes on to say that you then together with everyone else would be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep this love is 4D. That you'd be able to grasp the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of this incredible love. And I think that's poetic language that Paul is using. Some people say that's a reference to the cross. You know, the cross goes up and it goes down and it goes across and maybe... Let me say a little comment here to, to some of you who have asked me this uh, in recent years. Why don't we have crosses all around the room? We're not ashamed of the cross, but we don't want to be constrained by a symbol neither. Because actually, the Bible doesn't say, you know, that to be you know, followers of Jesus, you should wear a cross or you should put a wooden cross up on a wall. What, what the Bible teaches is that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you take up your cross daily and follow him. So we don't want to just be constrained by something on the wall. We're not ashamed of the cross. It's not something we put on the wall. It's something we carry on our back. Something that we live out, isn't it? And it's something, and the Bible says that we're to be people of the cross as well. And so I think this is really interesting. And then he says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So to know something that you can't really know. <laughs> That's what he's saying, isn't it? To know this love that actually surpasses knowledge. Because it's one thing to know about God's love, it's another to know it. And then he finishes by saying, and that you would be filled to the measure 
of all the fullness of God. Anyone do any baking? Any, any bakers in the house? Okay, a few of you, all right. I, I'm told, not from experience, but that when you're measuring things out, you need a jug, a measuring jug. And if you're doing any kind of cooking and you measure things to like 200 mils or 300 or 400, and what Paul says is that you'd be filled to the measure of all the fullness. So what's the measure? The measure's Christ, isn't it? That's the, in Jesus is the fullness of God. So for you and I to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God is to be filled as Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. So is my love the same as Christ? Is my joy the same as Christ? Is my courage the same as Christ? Is my purity the same? It's not. So I need to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And Paul's prayer is that you and I would be saturated in love. Let me read this to you. D.L. Moody was a, a famous American evangelist and he said this, One day in the city of New York, oh what a day. I can't describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were no different. I did not present any new truths, yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you would give me all the world, it would be small dust in the balance. And what he's saying is that he knew God before. But then there was a moment there where he was saturated again in the love of God and everything changed. And what he did before, he did again. But there was such a difference because he was doing it out of the fullness of God's love at work in him. So when was the last time you let God love you? And I know for some of you, you're thinking, oh, that's horrible language and it's too girly and it's, I don't understand what you mean. When was the last time you let God love you? One of the, my favourite verses in the Old Testament, Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And I love singing. And, I, and whenever I sing, I always have that verse in my mind. Not always, but often have that verse in my mind. I love singing to God, but God loves singing to me as well. I love singing over God, but God loves singing over me as well. Isn't that amazing? And we used to sing that old Martin Smith song, Delirious Song, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. Whenever we sing that, um, you know, I always picture God singing exactly the same thing to me. I could sing of your love forever as well. Isn't that amazing? Let God love you. Maybe for some of you, it, you you're just too busy for it to be true. Your hands are too full of stuff. You can't just let go and let God love you. Maybe for some of you, it's too good to be true. You think you mean that God would love me like that? No, no, no. There must be a catch. Maybe for some of you, you think you're too bad for it to be true because of what you've done or where you've been or what you've experienced. Some of you, maybe you feel that you're too hurt for it to be true. But I want to tell you, God loves you with an incredible love and he wants to fill you with the measure of that love, the measure of Christ today. And then finally, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So out of the fact that you're strengthened with power and saturated with love, now begin to imagine and dream what God could do through your life. And however much you can imagine or dream, God can do more than that. He has great expectations for you. Isn't that amazing? And I don't know about you, but as a church, we believe that God has great expectations for us as a church. Isn't that right? But it's, but, but it's got to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. It's got to be all about Jesus. It's got to be all about Him or it will come to absolutely nothing. 
And so I want to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to do something this morning as we finish our time together. We're going to take communion for the first time here in this building. And as we do this this morning, let me just explain what this is for those of you that are not so sure. Um, you're going to come and get given a piece of bread. It's gluten-free bread for everyone, just to make that easy for everyone. And, we're also, and that's uh, representing, symbolic of, the body of Christ. Okay? But you're also going to get some juice, which is, again, symbolic and representing the blood of Christ. And these are symbols and representations, but there's something more than that going on as well. Because the Bible also teaches that when we do this and when we come together, in a sense, God presents himself in an added way. Okay? And so when we eat and drink, we're remembering what God has done in the past. We're prophetically speaking into the future, but we're receiving him again in the present. The God who was, who is, and who is to come. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to invite the, the, the folks just to come and they're going to serve you, okay? And when you get the bread and you get the juice, eat and drink. And the band are going to take us through a song, which is a great song that we know here at the church. And it really describes what Jesus went through for the love that you and I can now live in. And, and, and the extent that he went to for that love. And I'll come back up and share another little thought with you in a moment. But just uh, as we start, let me just pray. And then we're going to just spend a bit of time this morning. We've got some time. And let's just remind ourselves what this is all about and who this is for, yeah? Jesus loves us. God loves us so much. He sent His only Son so that you and I would not die, would not be disconnected from the life of God, but we'd be connected to the life of God and that we would know Him now and we would know Him for eternity. I'm not over that. That's amazing that God loves us so much. And so we're going to eat and we're going to drink today. Lord, thank you that we get to do this today and we get to share, not just in this room, but God, with millions of people across this planet. And not just today, but Lord, this stretches back thousands of years. And this will stretch forward till you come again or call us home. So God, we are partaking right now in something much bigger, much wider, much higher, much deeper than what we realise. And so Lord, I pray that in this simple act of eating and drinking and remembering and experiencing and worshipping. God, may we know you today. May we know this love that surpasses knowledge. May we know you. And would you saturate us again with your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen.